This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. If you're only concerned with censorship when you think it's happening to you, you're fake, a phony, and you should sit the heck down. Taylor Lorenz and friends, I'm talking to you. The show starts now. I don't have to tell you all this because it's been made abundantly obvious and has been repeatedly confirmed. Conservative accounts, voices, speech, and ideas have been baselessly and selectively censored or removed by big tech, namely on old Twitter and currently on the rest of the platforms that don't have an Elon Musk or a shred of integrity. And the liberals, the leftists, the Democrats, and the journalists, who also happen to fit into those aforementioned categories, have not cared, haven't covered it, or both. So I find it pretty rich that they are throwing a tantrum about it now that Elon and new Twitter has applied the actual rules, the actual community guidelines, and the actual legit terms and conditions on them. But I want to back up just a moment and tell you that when I saw that headline about Elon suspending journalists, I was really confused because Elon Musk is dedicated to free speech and doesn't really seem to care what the collective unibrain left thinks of him for restoring it, so it wouldn't make sense for him to suspend critical journalists. So I did a little research and I had to wade through several paragraphs and about five different articles to discover the reason he suspended the accounts. Not because these journalists, and I use that term loosely, from the New York Times, the Post, CNN, and others were critical of Musk, but because they were involved in sharing his real-time location. You can say what you want about people you don't like, but you don't get to put their real-life safety in jeopardy. The doxing or sharing of personal addresses, phone numbers, plus violent and specific threats on Twitter is another reason old Twitter sucks so bad. I know because it happened to me on several occasions, and I had to report it numerous times before old Twitter took action or took down the tweets. But as for these snakes who put Elon's whereabouts on the platform for the world to see... He restored their accounts, proving he's not only fair, but overly so. But still, I find it wild that it took the seven-day suspension of these liberal journalists from these liberal outlets to get these liberal journalists and their liberal outlets to cover censorship in any way, shape, or form. Like, where have y'all in your headlines been for the last five years? But it goes to show what we've known all along. It's going to take a taste of their own medicine to get them to give one iota of a crap about the things that we've been battling for a decade or more. But let me end with this. Aside from the doxing and sharing of location information, I hope these liberal hacks are the opposite of censored. I hope they always have a wide open platform to spew their drivel so the people of the world can see and read just how deranged and ideologically ill their ideas truly are. So put it all out there, green hairs, and let the people decide. But still ahead, he's a rapper from the UK who has caused quite the social media stir in the best way possible. Rapper Zuby joins me next with his take on life, politics, and the entitled snowflake culture we live in. Don't miss it. So my next guest is no stranger to controversy. He tells it like it is, and if that offends you, so be it. Sounds like my kind of guy. Joining me now is rapper and political commentator Zuby. 
All right, Zuby, I've been following you, especially on Instagram and on Twitter, really throughout the pandemic, because the stuff that you were saying is a lot of the same stuff that I was saying. So I want to start with social media in general, especially in the last couple of years. You know, we got Elon Musk taking over Twitter now. We've got Instagram and Facebook meta that's still the same cesspool it's always been. We've got communist TikTok. Do you think that social media for conservative minded or independent minded folks, do you think it's a blessing or a curse? Well, I think it's both, Tommy. I think that the fact that we are both able to do what we do and build the following that we've built and have the influence that we have would not have been, we certainly wouldn't have been able to do it in the way that we've done it if it were not for this technology. So it's absolutely a double-edged sword, both on an individual level and a societal level, and I'd even say on an international level. I think one thing with the combination of smartphones and social media combined is people forget just how new it is. I mean, 15 years ago, we didn't all have these microcomputers in our pockets along with the, the video cameras and then the social media access and ability to reach billions of people across the entire world. So as far as human history goes, this technology is truly brand new. We're living in a complete age of experimentation. We've never had so many people networked and connected before all over the globe. And I think it's kind of like a knife. Um, you can use it for good. You can use it for bad. You can create with it. You can kill with it. You can destroy. It's up to the individual at hand in terms of how they choose to use it and also how people choose to curate and what they respond to. We're going to get into a little bit of that personal responsibility and accountability. It's something that you talk about that's not necessarily political, but the conservative-minded folks of the world have really taken on that message. But first, I want to talk to you about the Twitter files. I don't know about you, but when I saw all this stuff coming about, out about the blacklisting and the censorship, the stuff about COVID censorship, I mean, none of it surprised me. I knew it was happening. It was nice to see them finally admit that it had happened, not that the left will ever really admit that it happened or it was a problem. But, you know, what do you think moving forward? We've got Elon Musk now that's saying he might step down from Twitter, maybe name a new CEO. Uh, personally, that, that worries me a little bit because I think that some of the other people in that company are the exact same people that ruined it the first time. But are you optimistic about the future of Twitter? I am optimistic. I am optimistic. Firstly, I'm happy that Elon bought it. If you remember, I mean, there was so much back and forth about whether that was going to happen or not. A lot of people thought maybe it was just an elaborate troll. He said he was going to do it, then backed out, then they tried to force him. There was a lot of that. So Overall, I remain optimistic. I'm generally an optimistic. I'm, I'm generally an optimist in most things in this world. The question is just a matter of the timeline. And I think that in the short term on all of these platforms and with many bigger issues in society and culture and even in politics, in the short term, I have some concerns and some pessimism, if you want to call it that. But in the long term, ultimately, I think that we are going to work these things out. Like I said, we've only had this technology for not even 15 years at this point. I think it's really messy to scale anything that has hundreds of millions or billions of people involved with so many different viewpoints and ideologies and ways of thinking. I think that with that said, there are some fairly straightforward things they could do to be a lot more transparent and to be a lot more fair and reasonable. Same goes with YouTube and Facebook and all these other platforms. And I think that a lot of the activists who work there prevent some of these common sense things from being done, I would say. But um, it's always going to be messy. But, you know, I think that's the price of freedom and liberty in general.
So I know that you're in the UK, and it's always interesting to me how similar the two countries are and how different the two countries are. But when it comes to wokeness, I mean, obviously, the summer of 2020 here, not only were we dealing with COVID, but we were dealing with mass BLM riots. I know that the UK, they also have their own BLM issues, their own wokeness. How would you compare the two countries? Which one is outwoking the other in your view? Uh, definitely the USA is outwoking. Um, when the USA sneezes, the UK catches a cold. And a lot of the stuff in the UK, sometimes the, the UK tries to copy stuff from the US where it doesn't even make sense. So the BLM thing is a fantastic example. So even trying to, we, we already know that in the States, the, the BLM narrative and the police brutality narrative, I would say, is very misguided and overblown in terms of what the actual statistics and the ratios of those are. But in the UK, it's even more goofy to sort of try to pretend that there's this massive police brutality, police killing, you know, black people or anybody. The police here, for the most part, don't even carry guns. Only the specialist armed units do. So it's kind of silly when you see those massive things happening in the UK or in New Zealand or Australia, where it's it's really it's it's already silly and overblown in the US, but in in this country. It's particularly foolish. I think that the U.S. is the chief exporter of woke ideology. That's the uh, that's the primary home base. Um, and I think other countries are taking it and running with it. There's a lot of great things that I think the USA could export. So I wish that we would stop importing the nonsense and uh, import some of the better stuff. Yeah, well, you guys take a little bit of a part of it, especially when it comes to the royal family, when it comes to Harry and Meghan. Uh, I personally have no fascination with the royals whatsoever, even less so with Harry and Meghan and their Netflix series. I, I couldn't care less. I, I think that she's annoying. I think he's annoying. I think the whole thing is annoying. Uh, you know, no offense, <laughs> but I think we won a pretty big war uh, a long time ago, so I wouldn't have to give a crap about the royals. But I wonder, because this is really taking the United States by storm, how are people reacting to this Netflix series and the Harry and Meghan of it all into the UK. It's a big topic of conversation here. Oh, interesting. Um, I've heard nothing about it beyond little bits that I've seen on Twitter. I don't have Netflix and never have, and I'm certainly not interested in Harry nor Meghan. But um, in people I've met and spoken to recently here in the US, no, sorry, here in the UK, um, I've been back in the UK now for four days. I was in the US before that. And uh, in real life, I'm not hearing anybody talking about it. Yeah, a lot of that whole series and what those two have been able to do is make the assertion, underlying assertion, that the royal family is inherently racist. And that's what, what frustrates a lot of people, and that's what gets the, the woke USA folks really excited, because wherever they can find racism, even where it doesn't exist, even where they can create it, people get really excited about that for some weird reason. But I'm like you, I don't watch Netflix, I don't watch Harry and Meghan, I couldn't care less. The one thing I want to talk to you next about, though, is personal responsibility and accountability, because it goes along with COVID, but it also goes along with a lot of the stuff that you post and a lot of the stuff that you talk about. You talk about men being men again. You talk about people taking personal responsibility for themselves, for their actions, for their health. I mean, in this day and age, though, just saying that, that maybe you're not a victim, maybe you should look yourself in the mirror and you should fix the own problems in your life, you know, even that at this point has been highly criticized by those that maybe don't want to take that kind of personal responsibility. But you posted, you know, 36 life lessons that went, you know, somewhat viral. People really resonated with that. At what point in your life did you decide that this was your path and being almost like a, a motivational speaker of sorts was something you wanted to get into? 
Yeah, fantastic question. So I started making music back in 2006 when I was still in university. So when I started out with music, I always wanted to have some of those themes and overall positivity and inspiration and motivation in my music. I found quite quickly, okay, you know what? I can offer the world my music, but I can also do more. Right. I started my podcast in 2019, Real Talk with Zuby. I wrote and released my first book, Strong Advice, in 2019 because I've been going to the gym for even longer than I've been rapping and I figured I could put something together that helps people. And then I started getting invited to do uh, speeches. My social media account started growing at a much more rapid pace. And so I feel like I've inadvertently, well, somewhat directly, but somewhat inadvertently stepped into a lot of different roles. And I think that's what we need. I do think there's so much negativity out there. There's so much victim mentality out there. There's so much blame everything and everyone but yourself out there on all these different levels, mentally, physically, spiritually, financially, everything. You know, it's just infant the infantilization of our nations and of our societies and of all adults. As you've said, men are being emasculated. Women are being masculinized. Men are being turned against women, women against men, black against white, white against black. Like it's all just very divide and conquer. They ran with this very hard throughout the whole pandemic situation. Last thing I want to talk to you about a little bit, because I'm getting ready to talk to a doctor who was blacklisted on the old Twitter for his controversial viewpoints on COVID lockdowns and that nature. You've been very outspoken about COVID, and it's something that I gravitated towards your account because there weren't many of us out there. You know, now there are. Now all the conservatives are out there saying, I'm not going to wear a mask and I'm not going to get a vaccine and lockdowns were stupid. But you and I both recall, whether it's in the UK, or here in the USA, there were a lot of people of both political parties that early on in COVID were scared, did think we needed to lock down, loved the fact that we were in quarantine, which by the way is a BS term because healthy people do not go into quarantine. That's another changing of definitions and words. But what made you at the start of it realize you needed to speak out about all this COVID insanity? What was the tipping point for you? The tipping point was very early on, Tommy. Um, from the beginning, I was more concerned about the response than I was the virus itself for many reasons. I think that the reason why that is, is maybe twofold. Number one is I'm at the very bottom of the neuroticism trait in terms of my personality. So in a room of 100 people, I'm probably the one who's least sensitive to negative emotion, which generally serves me pretty well in life. So it means I tend to keep a very calm, rational head when other people are getting scared or freaking out. So I think I was able to just stay calm during the panic. And then I was also just able to see what the repercussions would be of some of the things that people were advocating from every single standpoint, from social to family, to mental health, to physical health, to the to the economy, inflation, finances, people's well-being, let alone civil liberties and the precedent that would be being set. In our countries, I something like a lockdown, I don't believe should even be possible. If you live right. in a free country, if you live in the UK, the USA, Canada, Western Europe, you the concept of the government just being able to institute a mandate that forces people to stay at home or even forces people to cover up their face in public or forces people to shut down their... That, I don't even think that should be possible. That goes against every single... That goes against all the Western values. 
they're really trying to still make COVID a thing. I mean, here in the U.S., L.A. already wants to bring back their masks. So it is, it's a derangement uh, very early on. I think the tipping point for me was when they said two weeks to flatten the curve and we were in week one of flattening the curve. And then I realized they're never going to let this go. That's why I got out of California and went to Tennessee because, quite frankly, I thought that they were going to lock me in California and that wouldn't have worked for me, quite frankly. Mm -hmm. I appreciate everything that you've done, though, and being outspoken because it's going to take voices like yours, voices like mine, people that have a following, people that connect with younger people to make a difference and to teach people not only about personal responsibility and accountability, but how great freedom is. So thanks for all that you do. I will be a loyal follower of yours, and thanks for taking the time today. I appreciate it, Tommy. Thanks for inviting me. Thanks, Zuby. All right, coming up, he was on Twitter's now infamous blacklist for sharing the truth about COVID and COVID lockdowns. The great Dr. J. Bhattacharya joins me next. Of all the Twitter file dumps we've seen so far, I found number two to be the most damning. The Twitter blacklist of accounts, voices, and ideas, the old guard of Twitter arbitrarily censored, shadow banned, and throttled for fear the truth would leak out. Now, it's one thing to do it to prominent conservative pundits, but it's even more concerning that Twitter engaged in this BS when it came to COVID, and more importantly, COVID whistleblowers like my next guest, a Stanford University professor and leading epidemiologist who was blacklisted for speaking out. Joining me now, and I'm so excited to have him, Dr. Jay Bhattacharya. Oh, doctor, you know, when I saw this blacklist and I saw that your name was on it, I quite frankly wasn't surprised, but I want to know your initial reaction when you saw that your name was on that blacklist. I mean, I, I agree with you. I, I wasn't particularly surprised. I mean, I, I you know, I had a, earlier in um, 2020 when I wrote the, we, I wrote this document called the Great Barrington Declaration proposing an alternative to lockdowns, a focused protection of vulnerable people. The head of the NIH, uh, ordered a devastating takedown of the premises and, and and you know I know I knew for a fact that the federal government was working with Twitter and other social media companies to censor these voices so I wasn't particularly surprised um but I was really disappointed I mean it was it was actually made me really you know quite disappointed and sad because I think Tommy we would have won the debate against school closures we would have won the debate against lockdowns had it been allowed to be fairly done if we'd had the uh didn't have these kinds of blacklists this kind of censorship which i think happened not not just i mean like would twitter on their own decide to do this no of course not this was done at the behest of the federal government and the, the federal government uh included things like people you know places like the national institute of health worked to suppress the debate that the American people deserve to have that, that and create this illusion of consensus around COVID policies that didn't exist. And as a result, so many Americans suffered, Ch American children who were denied you know, their birthright to an education, especially poor kids, um, businesses closed, churches, mosques, synagogues closed. Uh, we, we basically uh, destroyed the, uh, the, the lives and life prospects of so many people for nothing. That was the argument we were making, that there was an alternative strategy to managing the pandemic that would have worked better, but that we were not allowed to have. And as a result, all this suffering happened. So I feel, I just feel really melancholy and sad around that. It just, I, I really wish that debate had been allowed to happen. Yeah. And I don't so much think that 
the other voices out there thought that their strategy would be effective. I think that there were a lot of other motives that were at play there that I want to get into. But I know that after your name appeared on this blacklist, I know that Elon Musk himself invited you to go to headquarters and have a discussion. So I want to know, I wish I could have been a fly on the wall in that discussion, but what did he say to you and what was that conversation like? Uh, it was re- remarkable. First, I, I, I got uh, I got the sense in, in talking with him that he sacrificed a lot in order to allow this openness to finally happen. Like I, I mean, I think you know he put Twitter in legal jeopardy because what Twitter 1.0 did before he bought the company was actually I think illegal. It 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 worked in ways that uh, that 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 puts Twitter in legal jeopardy. They violated their own terms of service by the censorship regime. Um, and I, 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 and I, I, Twitter, uh, you know, Elon actually acknowledged that. He said, yeah, he, he he thought that's likely, but he thought it was worth it because he wanted his whole motive to buy Twitter was to restore free speech. I, I personally was very impressed by that. I mean, I think uh, the, 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 we're seeing now finally some sort of balance coming back. You know, I, I'm not I'm not so comfortable with like uh, with some of the the the, the, the uh, liberal journalists who I guess were doxing him uh, being suppressed. But on the other hand, I, I, I mean, so many conservative journalists, scientists, and even other liberal journalists were suppressed um, during during Twitter 1.0, and it really hurt the ability to have a reasoned public debate. And the, his, Elon's goal is to restore that. I'm very impressed by that. And as far as COVID and the lockdowns, he told me he he um, was against the lockdowns. And I, I you know, the, he had good evidence. He moved his plant in Alameda, Tesla plant to Texas because of the lockdowns. Um, he understood the harm and the, the, the unscientific illogic that underlies the lockdowns. Um, I mean, I, I said I was very, very impressed with him, both on his commitment to uh, opposing censorship, even willing to put his money where his mouth is on that, and his his, anti, his obvious anti-lockdown uh, sentiment. Yeah, no, I am as well, and I'm really happy that we have him now, and we have his voice, and we have his leadership. But I wonder, even with Twitter 1.0 and the censorship and the collusion with the federal government working to suppress all this information, you know, it's one thing if you're suppressing people like me who do not have the degrees that you have, that is not a scientist, it's not a medical expert, that is not a a Stanford professor. That's one thing if you want to say people like me are stupid and you don't think that my opinions need to be on Twitter. Okay, that's one thing. But that they were able to censor people like you, people like uh, Dr. Peter McCullough, who I've also had on my show, and others in the scientific community that were whistleblowers blowers from the get-go or from very early on the their ability to actually silence those individuals not just in big tech but really in all of media in all of the entire conversation what do you think the motivation was they can't say that you're not intelligent they can't say that you don't know what you're talking about how were they able to make you a medical pariah for such a long time because of covid well, I, I, I mean, I don't think it's fair to censor you either, Tommy. It's, it's not right. I mean, I think once you start this down the censorship line, there really isn't any limiting principle. What happened here was that there was a small group of scientists, very powerful scientists, bureaucrats. Uh, Tony Fauci is probably the most prominent among them. But, you know, there's Francis Collins, the head of the NIH, uh, Debbie Burks, a few others, even, even Vivek Murthy, the current uh, Surgeon General. They decided that they knew better than everybody else, even other scientists, uh, what the truth was about how to manage COVID, uh, the science around masking, vaccine mandates, you name it. And because they are, were so smart, it was legitimate of them to suppress other people. And then they use their power, they abuse their power 
uh, with the media and with big tech to suppress the debate on the other side in the name of suppressing misinformation. They kept saying things like, well, if the American people hear this, they'll be misled and they won't uh, comply with public health orders. I mean, that essentially is a recipe for tyranny. It basically says a small group of people in the name of science can do almost anything they want to other people in order to in order to get their way because in the name of safety for for people. In fact, ironically, they actually ended up harming people. They ended up harming children. They ended up harming the poor. They ended up harming small business, the working class. Um, they ended up harming so many people as a consequence of their of their policy of this policy of. Um, and uh, you know, you remember, like Tony Fauci, most most famously, he put himself. You can see his motivation; like he, it's hubris, it's ego. He said, "He said, if you question me, you're not simply questioning a man; you're questioning science itself. That is self defeating. If you if you if you actually have that point of view, you're not a scientist anymore. You're you're something else. You, you think you're God. Um, and I, I think that that's the primary thing. There may be other motives, I'm sure, but like the, to me, that is the key thing: that hubris, that idea that they knew so much about the world that they could take on themselves these powers that belong to nobody. They should have just let the debate happen. If they and if they were right, they would have won. Yeah, I think that there again. I think there were other motives there. But speaking of Fauci, what do you think the probability is that he is actually going to be investigated? Not only for some of the things that he said before Congress, but also this whole notion of gain of function research, what he knew, what he worked to suppress, the funding that he was a part of. Do you think we're ever going to see the day where that man is called to the carpet for real? Yeah, I th well, I think there's certainly going to be House investigations of him. Um, of in particular of his of his actions of funding gain of function work, his actions in denying that he'd been any played any part in that, which was in front of Congress. Um, uh, the, the other the other I think line investigation that needs to happen, and not particularly just with Dr. Fauci, but just generally, um, the lockdowns were a tremendous mistake. They should never have happened. They were never in part of our pandemic planning toolkit. And we adopted them on the basis of essentially by like emulating the Chinese example from January 2020. Um, we need to have a full accounting of the harms of the lockdowns. And we need to, and the reason is to me, it's, it's not so much like personal. The, the key thing is when the next time there's a pandemic, it'll happen again, Tommy. It'll happen again. And all these same, same pathologies that have occurred will happen. And again, poor people will be harmed. Again, children will be harmed. We have to make sure that lockdown is excised from our toolkit of managing pandemics because if we don't we're just going to we're going to we're beginning for a repeat and then certainly censorship needs to go i think that's the third element that that congress needs to investigate i'm 100% certain that he's that tony fauci and all, many of the other and more broadly the pandemic management uh ideas put forward by him and and, and other federal officials will be put under investigation by the house uh, in the coming two years. Yeah, I certainly hope so. There's always a lot of investigations that go on, but it never seems like anybody ever has to pay the piper, uh, Hunter Biden being a perfect example of that. But the next thing I want to shift to, because there were so many stupid things that happened with this pandemic. First of all, the lockdowns, the masking, and then the vaccine came along, the vaccine mandates, and now we're learning all these things about vaccines that people like me, also not a scientist, said, hmm, how much they are pushing this on people doesn't really check out to me. But now you've got governors like Ron DeSantis that are putting together a vaccine grand jury, an investigation into the safety and the efficacy of these vaccines. Do you think we're ever going to see in the United States real data on the side effects of vaccines? Will anybody ever cop to the fact that this is happening? 
it's a problem, and will anybody be held accountable for the lives that they may have ruined because of it? So for as far as like whether we're going to start to see data, we're actually we already are. There's just uh, the FDA, a group at the FDA just published an article in Vaccines that found uh, a, an elevation in pulmonary embolism risk from the mRNA vaccines in uh, in, uh, in you know for, uh, for 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 elderly people. I mean, I, th- I th- they still concluded the vaccines were worth it for elderly because the the elevation of risk wasn't that big a number compared to the benefit. Um, but I think that that uh, the, it's not possible to hide those data. Scientists are looking at it, and um, a lot of the suppression that happened was suppression in the idea of like, well, we have to encourage vaccination. But the data come out, the truth comes out. Uh, I, I very strongly believe that that those whatever signals there are about vaccine safety will come out. For instance, we now know for certain that young men have uh, when they get these mRNA vaccines have a very high rate of myocarditis, one in 2000, one in 3000, one in 4000, that those vaccines should not have been recommended for young men, certainly not required for young men. Um, Then, you know, despite all of the suppression, that that data point came out. Uh, We're going to learn more and more uh, as some of the the fear around COVID sort of starts to subside. And then the the idea that like we should we should essentially trick people by uh, suppressing these kinds of investigations or or demonizing people who do them, that'll start to go away. Um, Whether there will be uh, legal ramifications, that's not my area. I do scientific work, Tommy. I don't know. I don't know much about the legal legal. I mean, but I do think that um, that the scientific work will eventually truth eventually happens out of science as long as you don't suppress it the truth comes out the truth comes out doctor but after so many people that probably didn't need that vaccine got that vaccine and are having side effects of that vaccine maybe we've gotten one two three four five at this point and now a lot of people are feeling screwed they're feeling screwed over and it's not just oh dang it you know that really sucked it's like now i'm being permanently affected by this And also, when I talk about it, I am still shushed, I am still silenced, and doctor, the White House is still telling everybody to go get their booster. So that's what I don't understand. They still want to keep that vaccine mandate for the military that is predominantly young men in that category that you just mentioned. So yes, there is more data coming out. Little by little, people are seeing the side effects, but you still have the federal government that is pushing these boosters on people that likely do not need them. So at what point... Is the left side of the aisle going to drop this trade and start putting actual public safety first? I know that you don't have a crystal ball, but I wonder, people like you that have been outspoken from the start, is there anything that the scientific community can do to maybe change this narrative as far as the federal government is concerned? I mean, the key thing to me uh, that the scientific community can do is, is, is take an honest look at the data, right? That vaccines don't stop transmission. Like I was saying that in in middle of 2021, and, and I was getting pilloried for it, but it turns out to be true. If the vaccines don't stop transmission, then what is the purpose of any of these mandates? It should always have been just a personal medical choice. Um, and you didn't need the mandates. In fact, the mandates themselves are an admission of failure by public health. Um, that the the fact that uh, the Biden administration is still pushing it, that needs to generate a political pushback. Um, not, I mean, it's because the scientific data at this point are abundantly clear. If you're going to make a case for vaccines uh, from a scientific basis, maybe older people, vulnerable older people now, especially, you know, now that like such a large fraction of the population have had the COVID and recovered that, you know, even there, there's a marginal, be- only a marginal benefit on net. For young people, I just don't see an argument. That I think is the key point uh, out of the science. Um, the political aspects of it, you know, like, there's still universities mandating the booster. The FDA 
recommended or 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 approved the the BA four five booster on the basis of evidence on eight mice or a small number of mice boosting antibody levels in mice instead of actual clinical endpoints. These are these are political issues. Uh, we have to hold politically hold the FDA to account. We have to politically hold the Biden administration to account for recommending these anti science uh, ideas that are not based in actual data. If you look at the actual data, you know, uh, it's it's always complicated. You're going to have debates. Um, but it's become it came, became clear very early on, mid-2021, that the vaccines didn't stop transmission. Why we didn't adopt that approach, I don't know. But what we have is a, an administration that is essentially ignoring basic science and then hurt, hurting people as a consequence of it. Hurting people and all because of that little thing called power and control. And they don't want these things to go away because, like you said, they want to be able to have another pandemic where they can do much of the same thing. But luckily now, at least we have some truth tellers like you and others out there. It's unfortunate how many people in your position have not spoken out, will not speak out, even if they share the same sentiment. But I'm so happy that you're off the blacklist now that we can see your thoughts, your ideas, your true science. Thank you so much for always speaking out and providing so much inspiration for so many, whether you even realize it or not. It's been incredibly impactful. And thanks for spending so much time with me today. Thank you, Tommy. Really pleasure to talk with you. Still ahead, get this. California Governor Gavin Newsom is calling out the Biden administration over the border crisis, which is all fine and great, except he's directly responsible for enticing illegals and coddling them once they arrive in his sanctuary state. My final thoughts are next. California Governor Gavin Newsom is finally acknowledging the crisis at the border, but apparently he's conveniently forgetting his state and his policies are the big, fat, giant reason we're in this invasion situation. Yeah, I've got some final thoughts. All right, so I'm going to start by giving Gavin Newsom a scintilla of credit because unlike President Dementia over here, at least he took his sorry ass to the border to see the crisis and admit that indeed there is one. But that is where my applause for Greasy Gavin is going to end. The fact is what we've got right now is not working and it's about to break in a post-42 world unless we take some responsibility and ownership. And I'm saying that as a Democrat, I'm not saying that to point fingers. I'm saying that as a father. I'm saying that as someone that feels responsible for being part of the solution, and I'm trying to do my best here. He then went on to say the federal government is sending more and more flights and more and more buses directly here to California because this state is doing what no other state's doing, and that's absorbing and protecting and preserving our values and advancing them by doing health care screenings and taking care of folks. And the more we do, the burden is placed disproportionate on us and Quote, the policy at the southern border of opening the southern border isn't working, Gavin. Wow, thanks for pointing that out. No kidding. But wait a daggone minute there, Gavin. You can't bitch and moan your state is being overwhelmed and overrun when it's you and Democrats like you, particularly in your proud sanctuary state that incentivize illegals to come here. Your free education, free health care, and unwillingness to even arrest criminal illegal aliens is why they come and keep on coming. So no, the rest of the country owes you and owes California nothing. If y'all want to coddle and comfort illegals and y'all want to serve as the giant magnet that's enticing illegals over here like children to a windowless van, then tough luck. You and your taxpayers can deal with it and foot the bill. And come to think of it, 
I think the best way Republicans like DeSantis and Abbott can best work with you to solve the crisis is fire up some more Greyhound buses and send them west, young man. You wanted this, and you still want to be a proud, illegal immigrant state, so you've made your bed lie in it. Those are my final thoughts. Be sure to catch the entire show as well as exclusive content on Outkick.com. From Nashville, God bless and take care.